So uh, it'll be our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we're going to be uh, purchasing some new, uh, the NLT translation. We're kind of making a transition uh, heavier to the use of the NLT this next year. And so we'll be uh, purchasing a lot of new NLT Bibles for you. And some of you already use it. It's a wonderful translation. We'll still use the New King James Version as well. Um, but you'll get kind of a little bit of a variety there as we, uh, we uh, go into this new year. We're excited about that. Um, but today, the text, Matthew chapter 1. Got up this morning, was putting my notes together, and in the midst of it, you know, God sometimes makes a, you know, a left-hand turn, and you're going, <laughs> and I go, Lord, I would have loved to have done this had, had I you know, been able to, in the book of Romans, land in chapter 5 today. Chapter 5 would have been a perfect, perfect chapter, but obviously I'm not. So I'm a week behind in that. I couldn't figure out how do I jump ahead in the text and do Romans 5 and then go back without just totally messing everything up. So uh, thank God, you know, for years of, of, uh, of making that mistake. You know, I finally at a place where when the Lord goes, no, I, I get it and just stop right there. But um, I, I wanted to share with you something the Lord just really had been putting on my own heart this week um, and things that I was just having to deal with with people. Um, you know, Christmas time is, is a wonderful time of the year, obviously, to celebrate the birth of Christ. But you have those, and some of you, you, you know them, you have friends that uh, they don't believe in the, the Trinity, and that comes up around Christmas time, the incarnation you know, of, of Christ. And so I thought today, you know, we would spend a little bit of time because it's so appropriate because of the Christmas message and why is the incarnation so important? And, uh, and then just dealing with the issues that people are going through, um, you know, depression um, is probably at its height during the month of December. Just so many people struggle with um, depression and the holidays and it's, a uh, you know, uh, the world, the commercialism and all the things that it presents, you know, that everybody's just, you know, like every commercial you see that everybody's just, whatever that product is, makes them happy. Uh, they're just, you know, totally engaged with what's going on in the world around them. And, you know, and it's the commercialism, the hype of it. But the reality is, you know, life is, is hard and uh, life is, is difficult and God understands that. And it's all the more reason why the incarnation is so important to us. And oftentimes, you know, you'll find that new believers um, come in and they are so excited about Christmas because they're maybe for the first time in their life, they're really starting to appreciate and grow in the understanding of what, what God did when he sent Jesus to be born into this world. And as we walk with God, it's easy for us, you know, over time to, we use the word drift and, you know, we go on to other things and we lose um, just the sense of awe and wonder um, of, of what Christmas was meant to be for us, no matter what your age is, no matter how long you, you've walked with God. And so hopefully we can recapture some of that here this morning. I titled this morning's message, God With Us, and it's from Matthew's Gospel um, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And then I'm going to cover a lot of different texts here today. So if you're a note taker, you want to get your pencil out and, and be ready to go. If you are a photographic memory cell person, just clear your thoughts, take a deep breath, put your index finger and your thumb together, hum, hmm, clear your thought process. I don't know how you do that, but um, we'll read this together and then we'll pray. It says in, in in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name. What is his name? Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. Yeah. We we'll want to talk about that today. 
Father God, as we read your word and as we sing to you in worship, uh, Lord, especially at Christmas time, uh, we celebrate this, that God is with us. And, and we focus on you know, your first advent, your birth into this world. And today, Lord, I pray that it would just be fresh for each and every one of us, the realization that God, you're with us, no matter what we're going through, whether times are really good right now or times are really tough, very hard. Lord, it doesn't make any difference in the truest sense because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, you're with us. You promised that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us. And it's one of the greatest hopes of Christmas time. And I pray that for every heart, every home, those that are here, those that might be watching online, that God, you would just minister your life and your love to us today. That Lord, none of us would miss, Lord, the true meaning of Christmas. And that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher today. And as your word goes forth, that, God, it would stick in those places where the enemy uh, seeks to um, steal and to kill and destroy, to rob us, to, to keep the word from even being planted and producing something that, Lord, you desire. <clears throat> so, Lord, we set our hearts and our minds um, to knowing you today, appreciating you, thanking you. Lord, for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for this time of year, Lord, where we get to not only receive, but Lord, we get to give. Uh, as your word says, that, that it's better to, to give than it is to receive. And may, Lord, we really truly exemplify Christ in our life over these holidays as we get our eyes in the truest sense off of ourselves and affixed afresh on you. That, that's the hope uh, for each and every one of us this Christmas. This is the way that, Lord, we would enjoy this holiday to the fullest is by setting our gaze upon the heavens. Lord, making it our prayer, not my will, but thine be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Lord, align us with your purposes today, your plans, your hopes, your desires, because Lord, those are ours today as well as we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You know, I, I love Christmas cards. You know, um, I always love, you know, Christmas time. You know, we do a Christmas card. Many of you do. Some, they're pictures. Uh, some do cards. I, I actually love both. I, I love when, whether it's a, a picture of, of, you know, a family, um, it's always nice. You know, we've, um, you know, been fortunate the last few years to vacation right before the holidays as a family and then get all of our kids and grandchildren together and take a picture and send it out to, you know, family and friends and, and then to receive those uh, likewise. And then just to see them through the years as, as people, uh, you know, especially when they're, you have little ones and they grow and then ultimately to have a family of their own, it's just a, a real special blessing. But I have a, an all-time favorite card that I share periodically, you know, with you. And uh, I was reading, it just did notes this week as I was studying in the book of Romans and it just came to mind, and it's probably what the Lord just kept me bringing me back to with regard to this message today. But on this card, and it, it says on the front of it, it just says, it has a picture of uh, the manger scene. It's empty. It just has kind of a manger, and there's like the star of David over. It's really pretty. And it just says our greatest need on the cover of it. And then when you open up to the inside, you know, it says, if our greatest need had been information, you know, that God would have sent us an educator. Had our greatest need been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. And that is really the meaning, the hope, the purpose, everything that, that, that Christmas is all about, that God sent Jesus Christ into this world. But he had to do it a very specific way. He had to do it as he had to come as fully human in order to redeem us, you know, according to the law, that it would take like kind, you might say. He had to be what we see in scripture as our kinsman uh, redeemer. And so it's the, the need of the incarnation. How could he remain completely God, 100% God, and yet be completely 100% man? And that's the mystery of the incarnation. Now, maybe to simplify this for you, let me just read you the definition of incarnation. And if we get this, I'm going to ask you, then we could just pray right now, and then we'll just head on out, okay? It says this, incarnation, the act of grace whereby Christ took our human nature into union with his divine person and became man. Christ is both God and man. Human attributes and actions are predicted of him, and he of whom they are predicted is God. 
A divine person was united to a human nature. Acts 20, 28, Romans 8, 32, 1 Corinthians 2, 8, Hebrews 2, 11 through 14, 1 Timothy 3, 16, Galatians 4, 4, etc. Okay? The union is hypostatical, is personal. The two natures are not mixed or confounded and is perpetual. So everybody's good with this? We're all good? So we can pray, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you read this and you go, that's almost more confusing, you know, to try to read what should be, you know, the definition of what um, the incarnation is. But I want to walk through a number of different things, you know, first and foremost, you know, what the incarnation, what it reveals to us. And, and really what it reveals is, is the joy of Christmas is Jesus. It, it's not what we've made it out to be. The celebration is God with us. That, that's what we need to recapture, you know, as the church, as a community in the world today. That's what Matthew 1.23 reminds us, right? God is with us. Of all the things that you are going to forget this week, I pray that you do not forget that, that God is with you. There'll be so many things that will try to deter you from that, the attacks of the enemy, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all those things. And like I said, you know, Christmas time for many people, it's a very, very difficult time. They, they just can't wait for Christmas to be over. Like I said, depression uh, goes through the roof during the month of, of December. And, and, and there's a reason for it. I mean, you talk to people, you go, much of what? Our concentration is taken away from God and it's placed upon man. It goes to people, it goes to family, it goes to, you know, how am I going to pay for, you know, all these things that, you know, that have nothing to do with really what the true meaning of Christmas is. And unfortunately, like I said, so many people get caught up in that. But the greatest joy of Christmas, it's, it's inseparably bound. I mean, you've got to, it's, it is so tied to uh, the fact that God came in human form that God was with us, that the beauty of the incarnation. And when we can recapture that as a people, like I said, and it's not just because you think about it from a theological perspective, but from a personal perspective, you know, we talk about intimacy with God, a relationship with God, because that's what he wants, a relationship with you. But there's all these other things that continue to stand in the way. And even if you walked with God for a long time, it's something that we can so easily lose sight of. And, and that's why it's so important to, every year to come back to this. That's why, why did God give the Jews celebrations that they came back, you know, three, four times a year to Jerusalem? Because is what I remind you all the time, you know, we forget the things that we need to remember, right? And we remember a lot of things that we would do well to truly forget. And so remembering Christmas is so important. The true meaning of Christmas is simply this. God, what? with us. God with, say it with me, God with us. And you know what? And you'll need to remind yourself of that. You would do well this week to remind others of it. You'll see as conversations start to go south, people get twisted off on things, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's, you know, gifts or whatever the thing is, to be able to bring back to the true meaning of Christmas that God is with us. Emmanuel. And, and to really to allow that to sink in, and that's really, you know, as our study of Romans has helped us uh, to do that, you know, I don't want to disappoint anybody, but how many know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th? There, okay, there's a few. Okay. It's a day that we celebrate it, right? I mean, it, up to the, it was about the fourth century. Uh, Christmas was actually celebrated on January the 6th. And then it moved back because of paganism to kind of compete with it in the sense, in, in a religious, you know, uh, sense, somewhere between the 25th and, and January the 6th. So you had December 25th, January 6th, and there was week-long celebration uh, that took place there, and time was divided. Uh, it, it actually, in my notes here, you know, in early Rome, there was the Feast of, of Saturnella, not to be confused with Nutella, okay? You know, the you know, but um, it was celebrated for seven days, and it was from the 17th of December to the 24th, and it was marked by the spirit of merriment, and there was gift-giving to children, okay? So we see how these things kind of grew and how they become more commercialized over time. And it's, it's interesting because throughout the centuries, you know, there's been various elements of pagan uh, celebrations that have included uh, the celebration of Christmas. And, but there's many that are just other than 
Christmas events and activities that, that, that focus on everything other than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The church, can, we can be just as guilty of it. That we make it about so many other things than, than Christ himself. And so hopefully as looking at this today, you know, we can each in our hearts come back to a place where uh, we focus our attention. And we have to do it deliberately because, like I said, there's a lot of things we've got together we can today. You know, some of us have activities with families and friends. There are so many things that are vying for our attention. And like I said, with all my heart, you know, for me, for you, that, that we can take time like this. And I so appreciate the fact that, that God knows us so well. And it's one of the reasons why on the first day of the week, you think about Sunday. For many people, they think Sunday is the last day of the week, right? But if you look at your calendar, where's Sunday fall? It's, it's on the left, right? It's the first day of the week that the church would come together to remind one another you know, of what God has done, what God is doing, to set our focus and our gaze afresh on him as we go into the celebration you know, of Christmas this week. And, and really, especially, like I said, the, the incarnation. Um, there's a lot that the incarnation does for us, you know, and, and I like this, like I said, the very first thing, I just want to remind you that the incarnation reveals to us, you know, the joy of Christmas is in Jesus. I mean, of all the things that might sound so simple, but I can tell you, we all can get so sideways so quickly with regard to what the true meaning of Christmas is. And then you listen to people, Christians as, as well as not. Uh, and the complaints about Christmas time and the things that go on, it really, we become dissatisfied the more we move away from Christ. The more we move closer to Christ, the more satisfying your Christmas holiday will be. I can promise you that. So the incarnation, first and foremost, reveals that the joy of Christmas is found in Jesus Christ, that God is with us. And I've shared with you, you know, in weeks past, I mean, one of the things that set the Jews apart from every other religion, every false religion, was that the world recognized that, that Israel had a God that tabernacled with them, that wherever they went, God was with them. And we have that same promise to us in Christ Jesus, God with us. That is the joy of Christmas. The second thing, if you're a note taker, you might write this down, that the incarnation reveals to us is the depravity of man. This is why I was, I was hoping that, you know, I could have landed in chapter five uh, this week. Uh, the depravity of man and our desperate condition, uh, apart from divine uh, intervention. I mean, if God hadn't stepped in, we would still be dead, the Bible says, in our trespass and sin. God stepped in, into time. You think about this, the God who is outside space and time took on human flesh, stepped into humanity. You know, the Bible says that he stooped, you know, that he humbled himself. You know, we'll look at a few passages in just a moment here. But the incarnation, you know, like I said, it implies, you know, what the first, you know, three books of, the, of Romans, you know, has been teaching us and, and so boldly claimed to us that man was totally, I mean, you think about this, irreversibly lost, that we were separated from God and left to himself, that man, we could neither would or even could save ourselves. And, and Paul did such a wonderful job bringing us to that place where we would just recognize that we are totally depraved apart from God. And yet, when you think about Jesus' life and his birth into this world, I mean, there was so much humility. You know, the book of Philippians says that, you know, that God humbled himself. I mean, think about that, that God taking on human form, that was an act of humility of the God of creation, stepping through time. Philippians says that he humbled himself to the point of becoming a man. You know, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 puts it like this. If you're a note taker, it says, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I mean, to think what Christ has done for us like I said, that he was willing to stoop and to identify as one of us. You know, it's really, uh, and you think about in the incarnation, it's the evidence, you know, of really the fallenness of mankind. I mean, you have to really think about this for a second, you know, that why did Jesus have to take on human flesh? I mean, God would have never, ever considered the incarnation unless there was no other possibility, unless there was no other hope. I mean, to think that the God of creation would, would take on human flesh. I mean, it was so severe 
You think about what Jesus would, would do for us. You know, the point, like I said, you could maybe put it like this. I'll read this from my notes. If the cure requires drastic measures, the ailment must be severe. No one would conceive of allowing the doctor to remove a limb to cure an infection which could easily be treated by antibiotics. But if the ailment were a cancer that would kill the patient, then a limb is willingly sacrificed to preserve life. No cure is more drastic than that of the incarnation and the cross. Man's problem of sin is indeed fatal. And, and you know, it puts the, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus into perspective to think what, what God had to do in order to save us. The humility that was associated with that. The third thing that we see, the incarnation reveals God's desire and his ability to save fallen man. I mean, think about what, what Jesus does in the incarnation. How, you think about today, how much does God love you? You think about what God did in sending Jesus Christ, his only begotten son into this world to save you. Like I said, you consider the meaning of Christmas. God with us. You know, every love song, every love story, you know, every Hallmark movie, you know, that that's made, you know, it, it always has this, you know, this life couldn't be any worse. And, and all of a sudden then, you know, what happens that, you know, the, the hero or the heroine, whoever steps through in that moment, you know, and rescues, you know, the other person. And then it's, you know, life happily ever after, you know, people, we love stories like that, but they're, those are fantasy but they're birthed in reality. They're all birthed in the reality that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that God would send his son at the very perfect moment in time. You know, the book of Galatians says that he would step through eternity and he would step through into this world, into this life, and that he would live a perfect sinless life. And then he ultimately would go to a cross where he would suffer and die in our place. And on the third day, just as he said, he would rise again. Proof that, that our sins, our sins that had separated us from God, that that penalty could be paid and that we could be restored back to God and that we could enjoy again, once again, what we lost at the fall of man, that we could enjoy intimacy with God. And like I said, and, and those are things that as believers, we go, hey, you know, I know that story, you know, but to know that in such a personal way, to know the reality of that, that, that God is with you. Because if we really truly recognize in the sense that God was with us, there, there, there's so little that this world could ever offer us or do to us that would deter us from the pleasure of, of knowing him. But we get so caught up in the things of this world where, you know, it's been well said that the people that do the greatest good in this life are those who are focused on the life to come. You know, again, what does scripture say? To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You know, like I said, the, the downfall that people will say about the church is that they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good, where in fact, it's the other way. Until we become heavenly minded, we're really of no earthly good. And that begins at the incarnation, you know, but, but Christmas, like you, you said, I mean, think about this. How many people do you know that during the course of the week, you know, going into Christmas, talk about the incarnation? I mean, we'll talk about what'd you get, you know, presents, this, that, you know, where are you going? What are you eating? Da, 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 da. But you go, but to think about the incarnation, to focus our thoughts, you know, for just a moment in time to, to realize that, that God is with us and that nothing, nothing, Absolutely nothing, no matter what the government does, you know, whatever private sector does, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And, and, and again, we couldn't talk that up enough. And that's the beauty of what the incarnation is. But like I said, but we have an enemy of our soul that when the word is, is being planted, he's coming along to do what? He wants to pluck that away and take it so it can't take root in our hearts so that we get caught up in every other thing. And we can all be guilty of it. And that's why I love the fact, you know, just being reminded this week, why should we come back and study the incarnation ourselves? And you need to do that to appreciate it afresh, not just in the Christmas story, but really the doctrine of the incarnation. I mean, because it, it begins all the way back in the book of Genesis and carries us all the way through to the book of Revelation. 
you know, that here's Jesus Christ, completely 100% God, completely 100% man. And there's a reason for all of those things. And again, only as we study that out, will it make sense to us. You know, and you think, you know, I love, you know, Christmas time, my wife, you know, we have a manger scene and she'll put the manger up and one of our grandkids, she, she looked at the other day and she goes, Oma, she goes, where's baby Jesus? And Oma says, well, it's not Christmas yet. He hasn't been born. Oh, okay. You know, and, uh, and then to be able to use that as a, as, a, as a tool of ministry to talk about, you know, Christmas. Then you think, you know, I mean, he was a king, right? I mean, Jesus was king, right? King of the Jews, right? He was king before he came in human flesh, right? And you go, and to think, why was he born in a manger? I mean, why wasn't he born like in a Hilton? I mean, it would make more sense, right? I mean, he could have been born at any time, you know, but a manger. And you think of, again, what's the message of, of the gospel? What's the message of his incarnation? Who did Jesus come to save? We've been studying the book of Romans, right? He came to save what? Sinners. He didn't come just to save the elite the rich that are amongst us, I mean, being born in a manger, being born in a stable puts him on a level where, guess what? All of us can relate to him. You know, young, old, polite, rich, poor, everything in between. And so I want to give you a few things. You know, why then is the incarnation so important? You know, the, the first thing, you know, that really comes to mind here is, you know, it, it's necessary for us as we look at this to understand, to really to properly observe, you know, Christmas. And, and to think of, especially when I think of, you know, the incarnation with regard to doctrine. Without, without an understanding of the incarnation, understand this, your doctrine, because and you'll, this will make sense as we get into this. Your, your concept of, of Christianity without a true understanding of, of, of the incarnation just makes room or possibility for every religion that exists. This is why people, because they remove the incarnation, they'll say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something, right? And they'll just say, well, as long as a person's sincere, that really, that's all that really matters. Or they have their religion and, you know, and, and God is okay with that. And you go, but if you really think about that, and if you believe that the incarnation is true, that God had to come in the form of a man so that we could identify with him, that he would be one of us, that he could pay the penalty for my sin and your sin. Because if he doesn't do that, how does he satisfy, you know, the wrath of God that's against us as human beings? And, and being God, how does he remain just in doing so, being able to forgive us? And so this gets narrowed down where, you know, we'd understand this, most of us that, you know, study the Bible that you go, okay, I, it makes sense to me when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That makes what? There's one door. There's one door. There's only one way into heaven, you could say. There's only one way into eternity. And people, they grapple with that. They, they go, I, I can't accept that. And you go, and it's not that God had one way. What we should be praising him for is that what? That he made any way. That he made at least one way, Right. And that's, and it's a gift. Remember, we don't and we'll go back into this next week in, in Romans chapter four. Righteousness is imputed to us. We, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It is a gift. It is declared because of what God has done for us, what God did for us in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, it's important. It's necessary. It's necessary, not just for the joy that we experience at Christmas. It's necessary for sound doctrine and everything that you and I believe really is built upon this understanding of the incarnation. You know, 1 John 4, 1 through 3 puts it like this. It says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Listen to this. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now, and that's not just saying that, oh yeah, but we believe that there's a guy named Jesus came in the flesh. What he's saying, what John is referring to here is the deity of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, that God himself, 100% God, came, took on human flesh and dwelt among us, okay? And there's many today, some that you know. I mean, I know some of you, you have friends that do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe in the true incarnation of Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus a Jesus Christ was born into this world. But if you said, was he God? They go, no. If you talk to your Mormon friends today, 
Your Mormon friends will go, no, he wasn't God when he was born into this world. Because of his perfect righteousness, he became a God, which is totally, totally impossible for someone who was born in sin. And so again, the incarnation, understanding it, you know, being able to, to understand the truth of it. John goes on, he says, you know, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. This wasn't just in John's day. We see it in our day as well. Again, the attack against the doctrine of the incarnation. And again, it, it, it really creates the dividing line between uh, orthodoxy and heresy between biblical Christianity and the cults. Like I said, the incarnation, yeah, it's a stumbling block, obviously, in Christianity. It's here where Jews and both Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, many others, they struggle with, with the virgin birth and the deity, uh, and, and it causes them tremendous grief in their life. The uniqueness of, of the Christian faith, I mean, like I said, is related uh, to the biblical teaching of the incarnation of Jesus. You know, it, re it reveals the unique features of a Christian faith, our faith in God. And namely, like I said, that God came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ to reveal what? Himself. Why did Jesus come? He said to die, right? He came to die, to give his life, but he came to reveal God to us. Up to the point you know, of Christ's birth into this world, our knowledge of God was limited to what the prophets declared of God and what we could see in creation, but you couldn't know God personally. It took the incarnation when God took on human flesh. I mean, think about that. It says in John 1, it says, and they beheld him. I mean, think about what they're declaring there, that we got to touch God. You know, I've shared with you, go, you know, of all the times to live in this world, right? The best time, you know, would have been first and foremost when Jesus lived on this earth, right? That you could have looked at God face to face. You could have touched God. You could have touched his face. But the second best time, you know, I tell you is today is before his imminent return to this earth. I mean, to think that, you know, the truth that we know and to be able to share that truth, that there is a way of salvation, that we don't have to die in our sins, right? There is a gift of Christmas. We can celebrate the incarnation that God is with us because when you open your heart to him, he doesn't just save you from your sins, you know, he comes into your life. He comes into your being. You become one with him and he with you. He's with you. And nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's why, you know, you, you love it. You know, when, when, a, when a, a brother or sister goes home to be with the Lord that really has an intimate relationship with God, though, you know, they go, oh, I love my family. You know, I love my friends. I, I you know, I'd love to stay here as long as I can. There's a longing. It's like Paul said, it's kind of, you're, you're torn between these two things, right? And my desire is to go be with the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's better, he says, than our birthday. Our death day is greater than our birthday because we're at home with God. Yeah, Paul would write, he said, you know, to be absent of the body is, is present with the Lord. And you go, but, you know, but it's expedient. It's better that, you know, I stay here with you because, he's, you know, Paul would write, because there's a need, you know, there's a need for the church. He's planning churches. He's, he's helping the churches mature. And he goes, but I'm torn between the two. So there is something productive about being here, you know, on earth, but it, it will pale in comparison to the day that we step through into eternity. Amen. And to see Jesus face to face and to know that you're going to spend way more time there than you are here. This is basically what, this is preparing us for heaven, you know, and, and it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, preparation because it creates the longer you live, <laughs> the more you become prepared because you start longing for it. You know, there is a longing, you know, suffering, you know, and pain are amazing in, in, in our life because they can either push you away from God or they can draw you to God. And my hope is that, you know, the, the hurts and the heartaches, the pain and the suffering, and the sorrow that we, we will go through in this life that God uses that to draw us to himself, where we long for, you know, the hope of heaven. We long for, you know, every tear to be wiped away, amen, and to be restored and to receive a new body, one that has no more sorrow and no more pain. It doesn't deal with disease. It doesn't deal with, and you go, that's, that's the hope of heaven, you know, and that's what the incarnation has made possible for us, to know God and to know him not just, you know, specifically, but to know him personally, I mean, to think, you know, that we're going to be with him forever, for all eternity. It's such an amazing truth that the incarnation. And so, like I said, you think about the, then what is the purpose 
What is the purpose of the incarnation? You know, when you think about it, you know, at Christmas time, first and foremost, number one, it's to reveal God to men. I mean, you think about it, in times past, I mean, God revealed himself, like I said, you know, through his work, as we read about in the scriptures, uh, through the world around us. You know, here's a couple of passages you can look up, Psalm 19, 1 through 6, like I said, through his word, Psalm 19, 7 through 14, um, you know, in the coming, you know, of Jesus into this world. I mean, you think about to reveal God to men. It's not, you know, we don't, we don't reveal God to men, you know. We reveal, you know, in the, in the truest sense, you know, God reveals himself to mankind. We share, you know, what Christ has done for us. We share Jesus, but it's God who reveals himself. He has to open our eyes. Amen. We were blind, and then he causes us to see. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 puts it like this. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us. What's it say? By his son. Yeah, Jesus is God's final word. That's what he's saying. There's nobody else coming behind him. Not another prophet, not another savior. It's Jesus. It says, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world, who has been the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the full expression of God. John chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. So highlight that. You know, people go, no, no one had seen God. You got glimpses of God, shadows of God, but not seen him. It says, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. That's why Jesus in John 14, 9 could say this. He who has seen me has seen what? The father. Yeah. I and the Father are one. And not only, you think about this, and not only does Jesus reveal the Father to men, but Jesus does something else that's just as powerful. He reveals, you know, men for what they truly are. That's what Paul has been bringing out, right, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And you can see why then people would attack the incarnation. Why did the Jews hate him so much? Because what did he do? He exposed their sin, right? Every time that he, I mean, men, I mean, they, they wanted him dead faster than we could even comprehend. But John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. For what? For men love the darkness rather than the light. It says, lest their deeds being evil would be exposed. John chapter 1, 9 and 10, it says, The true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. In the beginning, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. Yeah. Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God. He came to reveal God to man. The second thing that we see in the incarnation is he came to redeem, redeem mankind. Not just to make God known, but to redeem us. I mean, nothing is more clearly documented in Scripture that Jesus came to save men from their sins. That's what we've been studying in the book of Romans. Luke 19.10 puts it like this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And we can't lose sight of that at Christmas. And we look at the world today, you know, and this world, you know, is divided. This country is divided. And Scripture is adamantly clear a house that's divided against itself cannot stand. So where do you think that the United States of America is headed today? If we are a divided nation, do you think we're going to continue to stand? No. The only hope then is what? Is what we've been talking about every week is revival, right? Is that God would bring revival. And where does revival begin? It doesn't begin in the world. It begins right here. It begins in the church. That the world would see 
the beauty of the incarnation, that God has been revealed to us, that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that we know him intimately and that he has a desire for all the world. He's not willing that any would perish. That's the one thing, you know, we, someone was in a conversation the other day about, you know, the difference between Christianity and the Muslim faith. And they were talking about jihad, you know, that the Muslims, you know, basically coming to the place where if you're a true, true Muslim, I mean, one who, because I share this with you, I mean, there's people that, we would say are Christian because they claim to be Christian and there might be uh, an American Christian, right? Mer America has its own kind of, you know, bibliology. And then there's a biblical Christian though, right? Somebody who, who really takes, who we might say is a fundamentalist that takes the word of God literally and just says, this is what the word of God says. And, and you know what, man, I believe it because that's what God says in his word. Well, if, a, a Muslim, a lot of people say, well, those are radical Muslims. You go, but it, it's just a person who believes in the Quran. They, they, believe in, they believe in jihad. They believe in a holy war, the things that we saw at 9-11. Uh, you could say, well, they're radical. And you go, no, they're just reading the Quran. This is what the Quran says, that you either convert to Muslim or you be killed. That, that is a holy war that ultimately is going to take place at some point in human history. It takes place in, in, in obviously in little pockets right now. But that isn't, that isn't radical, you know, Muslim theology. That's just a simple reading of the Quran. If you just study the Quran, it doesn't say, well, if you're a radical Muslim, that's what you believe. It just, if you truly believe the same way that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commandments. You'll do the things. He goes, if you love me, he says, why do you call me Lord if you don't do the things that I tell you to do? And people have all kinds of, you know, they've created their own Christianity. People in our own church. They go, well, I don't believe that. You know, like, like what you and I say we believe about God really has anything to do with it. We just do well to, like I said, to read the Bible and go, you know, that's what the Bible says. And, you know, pray for me so that I could do what? God's will. Not my will, all right? But what? But thine be done, yeah. You know, Galatians, you know, 4.4. 4, you know, I, I read this to you, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, Okay. He came to redeem mankind. We cannot forget that. He didn't come, remember, go back to the manger. Why is the incarnation so important? It was in a manger. So who is God trying to reach? All of us, right? Rich, poor, black, white, you know, whatever your thing in life is, he came for everyone. He is not willing that what any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I always loved, you know, that D.L. Moody one time, he was a great evangelist here in the United States. And uh, he was confronted one time, you know, by someone who believed in the election, you know, of the saints and not so much the free will of man. And he said, you know, to Moody, he says, Moody, he said, do you believe in the election of the saints? And he said, absolutely. And he says, well, then why don't you just preach to the elect? And Moody looks at him and he says, because I don't know who the elect are. And he goes, so I just preach whoever will. He says, but if you'd like to follow me around and lift up their shirt and I could see the E that God stamped on them, you know, for the elect, he goes, I would only preach to them. He goes, but if not, he goes, and I'll just preach whoever will. And I believe that whoever will are the elect of God, you know? And I love that because I'm pretty simple-minded and that was a pretty simple, you know, explanation of a very complex uh, aspect of theology. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 puts it like this. And I, and I love this because this is, this is Christmas. This is Christmas. It says, but when the fullness of time came, what was that? Christmas. The birth of Jesus into this world. It says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus came to save us. That's the incarnation. God was born into this world to save you and I from our sins, to adopt us into his family. Don't forget that this week. First Timothy 1.15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul would write this, among whom I am foremost of all. Because I'm the chief. I'm the chief of sinners. I mean, the entirety, this is where, like I said, if, if I, I could have hoped that, you know, Romans 5 would have landed here today and we could have looked at this, you know, together in Romans chapter 5, because really the argument of man's eternal salvation, you know, hinges on what we find in Romans 5. Because the, the underlying question of Romans 5 is, you know, how is the righteousness of one man, Jesus Christ, able to save 
Many. Now, that's the question. And, and the answer is, is really simple in one respect. Is that, you know, we, we look at though the answer was, though the sin of one man in Adam, we find that in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 14 and 15, that, and that the entire race became guilty, okay, became sinful before God because of the sin of Adam. You know, we are descendants of Adam in that respect. And so the solution that God provided was the incarnation, was the birth of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. You know, again, Romans 5, 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Again, who's what? Whose righteousness will save all who are what? We've been studying the last couple of weeks in him. Are you in him today? That's the only hope of salvation is being in him. In the second Adam. The first Adam secures your death and secures the wrath of God. Being born again into the righteousness that the second Adam, the Jesus Christ who was born in this world, lived a perfect sinless life in him by faith is what secures our salvation. Romans 5 puts it like this, verses 17 and 18. We'll study this you know, in depth when we get there. It says, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ. So even though as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. You know, and, and every time, you know, whether it's then or even today, you know, Satan is always seeking to undermine God's salvation in your life and in mine by attacking, you know, the, the truth that we find here, you know, in Romans chapter 5 from both sides. I mean, you think about it. On the one hand, he seeks to deceive men so that they don't believe that there was a first Adam, Right. Uh, and that it wasn't the ad, the sin of Adam that you know that was passed on from generation to generation. So they teach something of what instead of creation they treat they teach what evolution, right? That's how you undermine it because if it's created order, then we have a relationship with Adam. If it's evolution, it just goes from one person to the next, and there's no sinful act that you know would condemn the entire human race. So the result of evolution is what man's no longer a sinner a sinner by nature. And if we're not a sinner by nature, then the word of God's not true. And if the word of God's not true, then we're no longer under the wrath of God. So you could see how convenient this might be in this, you know, worldly theology. Secondly, Satan seeks to deceive us with regard to the last Adam, with regard to Jesus Christ, by really corrupting the doctrine of the, the incarnation. See, if, if, if Satan can bring us to what some would call this, this logical conclusion that uh, Jesus Christ was not manifested in the flesh, then he can't be the only means of securing our salvation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if there's no incarnation, then it doesn't matter what you believe. You can just believe whatever that you choose to believe. So you can see why people would attack, again, the incarnation. It's, you know, the, the argument that you've heard it just like I have, you know, hey, that works for you, you know, but this works for me. And then you go, wow, <laughs> okay. So then if that's true, then there, it's really a slap in the face of God that God would send his son into this world to die upon a cross because Jesus, if that's true, he didn't need to come into this world to die on a cross because nobody's guilty of sin to begin with. And again, but they won't come right out and tell you that, right? That's not, but that's, that's the underlying, you know, purpose behind it. The third thing that we see in the incarnation, what it reveals to us is what I love about, you know, when I think about Christmas this year, is what I want to end with today. The present ministry of Jesus Christ, that's what the incarnation, in one sense, it still reveals to us, the present ministry of Jesus today, because he forever lives, right? He died, and on the third day, he rose again, just like he said. And, and again, we, we say, you know, God with us, right? And then you, you think about that, though, and it's so easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? I mean, to think that God is with you today, that, he, that he's with us in this world. I mean, our, our salvation, obviously, we go, oh, I know that's secure because of Jesus' death, Pastor Mike, his burial, and his resurrection. But, you know, but to think, I mean, there's a ministry today that's carried on by the God-man, by the fact that he is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And you don't think about that with regard to heaven, 
You go, but he, he's God, but he's still, he's the God man. He does his deity. Didn't, he's, he's Jesus Christ. He's in heaven. The God man, 100% God, 100% man. And how do we relate to him today as the God man? And you think about what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. He says, for there is one God and one, what? Mediator. I want you to think about this today. Our relationship with Jesus today. One mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So you think about this. So what is Jesus doing today? We say, oh, he went to prepare a place for us, right? That's true. But what else is Jesus doing today? Maybe what's more important when you think about that, because he was a carpenter. I don't think it took him 2,000 years to get heaven ready for you, okay? I always love that when people say they put Jesus on a, a personally just human level, right? Well, he's really busy, Pastor Mike, because he's making a place for us, and it's only been 2,000 years, but there's a lot of places that he has to make. You know, and you go, okay, I, I get the logic behind that, but I don't really think that that's probably necessarily true. But he's doing something as he, as he waits for the Father's word, because this, that is in the hands of the Father, right? When Jesus Christ will return to this earth, and he's going to do what when he returns to this earth? He's going to subdue his enemies, right? We see that in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you're a note taker, you can go study that. Uh, verses 20 through 28, and then uh, read Revelation chapter 5. That'll give you a good uh, idea of this. But at the present time, why it's so important that you understand the incarnation in maybe such a deeper way, hopefully this Christmas, maybe than maybe ever before in your life, is the beauty of what Jesus is doing right now for me and for you, is that he's praying for us today. He's interceding for you. You have an advocate with the Father. Do you need an advocate with the Father? You ever fail? You ever sin? You ever blow it? You ever make a mistake? You ever purposely do something? You know, what does scripture say? We have an attorney. We have an advocate with the Father. First John 2, 1. Look at this. It says, my little children. He says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay? And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have a high priest. We have a high priest currently in our life. And you think about that. Why is that important? See, because here's where many of us lose sight at Christmas time and why it's a great reminder today. God is with us. He's with us. And he's not just with us, but he understands us. See, the scripture says that we have a compassionate high priest. When you think about God being compassionate, what, is, what, what does that mean to you? I want you to, to think about that for a second that you have a compassionate high priest who understands your weaknesses because guess what? He came in human flesh and he lived amongst us in human flesh and he faced the same temptations, the Bible says, yet without sin. But he went through all the struggles. He shed tears. He stubbed his toe. He hit his thumb with a hammer. You know, I wonder what he said when he hit his thumb, you know, That'd be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to ask him on that one. And because he relates to us and because he understands, Scripture says he's an encouragement to us. And he provides strength for us. Because you think about it, and we say, oh, we can, you know, celebrate other people's accomplishments, right? But we relate to them in what? in their failure or in their pain or in their suffering. You think about the people that are closest to your life. They're usually people that have what? Gone through similar situations, right? Because you go, oh, the, I, we, we connect because they relate to me because they've gone through the same thing. But that's exactly what scripture says of your God, of Jesus Christ. That's why he came in human flesh. He took on human flesh so that you could know that he understands you. And that he's compassionate towards you. That he, everything that you feel and experience and sense, he, he can relate to those things. He knows what the struggle against sin is. He just didn't fall into sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. But he didn't. He never sinned. But he understood it. And he understood the, the tragedy of it. I mean, he looks out over Jerusalem and he weeps, right? Over, over an entire nation. He goes, you know, that he came to his own. He said, how I long to gather you as a mother hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't listen. He knew the pain. He knew the pain of hurt, rejection, all those things that, that we feel in life. 
and he invites us. The God who's with us. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 puts it like this. says, therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make, and there's that word, propitiation, that he didn't just satisfy, you know, the penalty of our sin, but he satisfied the wrath where I could tell you that God isn't mad at you, okay? He's not angry at you. He poured out his wrath upon his son so that he could accept us and receive us to himself. He says, for the sins of his people. It says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. You have a God who understands. The beauty of the incarnation is you have a God who's with you every step of the way. He doesn't leave you hanging. He doesn't leave you there. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 goes on. It says, and seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest and again, this is the, the reason of the incarnation. A high priest, someone who's like us, he had to have human flesh that he could relate to us, that who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says, let us therefore, because of all that, when you see that, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when? When does it say? in our time of need. Do you have need? He's with you. That, that's the message of Christmas. It's a message that gets lost in the hustle and the bustle and all the things that seek to crowd it out. And we do well to remember that today. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Why? Because God is there. God is with us. God's here. And what has he given us? The greatest gift. The gift of his presence. Do you know that presence? He wants you to. Maybe you received him years and years ago, but you've lost sense of his presence. You can find it today. Come boldly before his throne of grace. Grace is what? It's getting what I don't deserve. And you go, God, I've been away. I haven't been where I need to be. I've been lost in all the things, you know, that have been gone in the world. I mean, if, if just forget Christmas, just take COVID. What COVID has done to people's lives and how it's isolated them and pulled them away and created so much division in and of itself. And even where the church is getting, you know, become so political and so caught up in all those things. And you go to lose sight of what, what really matters most. And what matters most is God is with us. Amen. And that no matter what you go through, I mean, we know people that, you know, were, who died of COVID or with COVID. And you, you think about it, you know, today, believers, and, you know, even where doctors and nurses would testify, they go, man, they went in and they knew they were going on a ventilator and they thought that maybe they weren't going to come back out. And all they did was, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't talk and they'd look at the nurse and the doctors and they'd go, it's all good. And you go, why? You go, because... If you destroy this tent, there's a whole nother one that's not made with human hands that you're going to get one day. That's the hope, amen? The hope of heaven that's made possible because of the incarnation, the, the majesty of God, the beauty of God. You'd think that he would love you and I so much that he would make a way that not only could we be saved, but we could be restored back to God. That what we lost in the garden with the first Adam was redeemed through the second Adam. And that you could know today and I could know today as you go from this place. And my hope and my prayer is that you do. And if you don't, it's very simple, is open your heart to him. He said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. He said, if you'll open up your heart, I'll come in. My father and I, the deity, the Trinity, and we'll make our home in your heart. You with us and us with you to know the peace of God, the presence of God. That is the gift of God, amen? That, that's what the incarnation is all about. That's what Christmas is all about, God with us. And may you know that in such a fresh way this Christmas. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just as we, we go into this last few days of Christmas, may 
Lord, the Christmas story come alive like maybe never before. And not just the fact that, Lord, you were born into this world. That's what we celebrate in the incarnation. But maybe the realization, maybe in such a fresh way that, God, you're alive today, that you're here, that you're with us. You know, we, we think of times where, where two or three are gathered in your name. We'll say that, you know, there you are in the midst of us. But, Lord, even when we're by ourselves and there's nobody around, God, you're with us. Some of the, the most amazing moments of our life is when, God, we're all alone and all that's there, Lord, in the still and the quietness, Lord, is you. And you break through and you remind us that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us, who's compassionate, who's loving, who's caring. And that one who desires intimacy with his people. And may we know that this week. May this be one of the the most joyful celebrations, regardless of what's going on in the world, it doesn't have to change the fact that there is joy in this world today because Lord, you are here, you are with us. May you fill every heart, every home, or may we be a light Lord, to our friends and to our neighbors when we get so sideways about all the things, may we remind them that, hey, hey, the good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christmas is God is with us, Emmanuel. He's here. He's here. And we thank you for that, Lord. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our homes. Be glorified in this church, Lord, this week. As we celebrate you, we lift up the name of Jesus. And we thank you that you are the name above every other name. And that your name, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You always have been. You always will be. And Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. We love you and we bless you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet. We'll send you out with song. We hope we'll, we'll see you this week in service on Christmas Eve. Be blessed. And uh, if you don't know what to get me for Christmas this year, my wife is right there. She, she has lists all made up. So be blessed as you go. So high.